0: Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. Uh, my name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've uh, chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church. And you can have subscribed to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got the app on your phone or something that you take notes in, please flick that up. Uh, Anthony is going to be sharing with us in just a few moments after this reading. So let me read for you. We're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and it will be on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. So Paul writes to the Colossians, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant... By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. and. For all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. And united in love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. In order that they may know the mystery of God. Namely, Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this. So that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is.
1: Good morning, everyone. How are we all? I'd love to say I was gonna start with a a witty story or something funny and make you laugh, but I'm not. (laughs) I think it's fascinating is that when we open the Bible that God speaks to us in different ways and each time he might open it to us in a way that speaks to us deeply but different to how it speaks to someone else. And the more I looked at this passage, the weightier it felt. And two things came through really strongly to me. The first was the reality of suffering in our life, but also then the reality of Christ's presence in our life. From the moment that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the, in the Garden of Eden, the things of this world are not as they should be. From that moment, from the arrival of sin, there has been suffering, hardship and death. Now, that's not a very jolly thought, I know, but the more I looked at this passage, the more I was comforted and sensed the deep assurance that we serve a God who knows us, who understands us and who meets, meets us in the midst of our mess and does life with us. I think that sometimes suffering and hardship in the lives of Christians is the elephant in the room. No one wants to talk about it. You know, everyone likes to think that we come to Christ and suddenly we're on easy street and life's just smooth sailing. But that's not the case. But maybe that's why there are some many churches and evangelists who like to stick to the prosperity theology. It's so easy to and to promote the idea that there is some kind of contract between God and humans, that if we have faith in God, He'll deliver security and prosperity. That. Proposing that it is God's will for his people just to receive blessings and the things in this life which we would think is wonderful. The problem though then is a complementary hypothesis then is that if you aren't experiencing blessings in your life or goodness seems to be lacking, then either your faith is weak or you're without faith. Well quite frankly I find that deeply offensive idea. But that kind of thinking is not new. Jesus healed a man who'd been blind from birth and the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Jesus answered that this was not because of his or his parents' sins, but so that the power of God could be seen in him. In this passage that we're going to look at today, we discover the awesome power that is available to each of us and that is Christ in you. Christ in you in the midst of sufferings and hardships. So let's read Paul's work for the church. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. When when the verse starts with now, it's almost like the same as therefore. Something preceded it. Why now? What, What was going on before this? And so when we look at the previous verses, we see that Paul's saying we we're alienated from God because of our sin. But now we're reconciled to Christ and that we have this glorious hope in the gospel. And this is the gospel which Paul has become a servant. The word there in the Greek is diakonos which is the root of our English words diaconate and deacon. And I think we get familiar with those ideas. But if you go back to the Greek, diakonos is actually made up of two parts. There's dia, which means thoroughly, and conus, which is dust. So putting them together is to say, thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry so as to minister. I'm sure we've all been in those workplaces where you get some people, their, their energy and their excitement about what they do each day is, and you're sure that on the carpet floor you can see the dust settling behind them. Although I've also worked with a lot of people where when it hit five o'clock, you could see the dust settling on the floor <laughs> behind them. So here is Paul, and he's, he's said, Look, I'm a servant to the gospel. Here is this energy, there's enthusiasm, there's excitement. But then he says, Now I rejoice in this suffering. So, what then is about this task that Paul would so willingly endure suffering? And not just endure it, but rather he is rejoicing in it. It's almost like he is delighting in his present circumstance. Now, there is a term for people who take pleasure from experiencing pain, but that's not what we're talking about here. Now, if we look back a bit, if we recall when Saul, as he was known then, Paul was confronted by God on the road to Damascus. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul fell to the ground and when he picked himself up, he discovered that he was blinded and he was then sent to Damascus. God sent a vision to a believer named Ananias to go and lay hands on Paul. Now, Ananias wasn't keen on this idea because he'd heard of the way Paul had been persecuting the early Christians. But God then says to him, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I want you to show him the fine stallion that he's gonna ride on, the fine garments he's gonna wear, and that big house that he's gonna have on the hill where he gets to have supper in the afternoon. Look, that's not what it says, is it? It says, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. When Paul was commissioned into God's service, God didn't pull any punches, did he? Paul was given notice right from the start that he would suffer in delivering this message of the gospel and suffer he did. Let's just quickly run through some of the things that Paul had experienced up to this point. Let's start with stoned by a crowd at Lystra and dragged out of town because they thought he was dead. Not a small little run-in on that afternoon I would suggest that people think you're dead and drag you out. But Paul didn't quit at that point. In Philippi, instructions were given for him to be stripped and beaten. After being flogged, he was thrown into prison and put in stocks. He was seized by a crowd in Jerusalem who wanted to kill him and began to beat him. His life was spared only by being arrested. Thank goodness for being arrested. And he was carried away by soldiers. He was then imprisoned in Caesarea. He was caught in storm at sea and then shipwrecked. And then he was imprisoned in Rome at the time of writing this letter. For those of you who are familiar with the old slide nights when you used to sit down as a family and out come the slides of all the great trips. Can you imagine Paul's slide night? <laughs> here I am at Lystra, great times, stoning. Here I am over here, beaten, flogged, whipped, imprisoned. Now, Paul wasn't especially appointed to be the only person to know suffering in service of the gospel. That's an emphatic no, isn't it? What did Jesus say? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Now, these weren't simply the hollow words from a man who was gifted with eloquence. (coughs) Jesus was the son of God, deserving of glory and honour, and yet he allowed himself to be beaten, whipped, have a crown of thorns hit into his head, spat on, ridiculed and crucified. (laughs) In following Christ, if we are to be wholly identified with him, we need to be fully immersed in him. And that comes with strings attached. We share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Imagine for a moment that you're a keen football supporter you can't sit in the grandstand all season and expect that when it comes to the end of the season and your team, win, team wins the premiership, you can't expect that suddenly you're centre stage, down there in the field, thrusting the, the crown or whatever it is, into the air. That's not how it works. You can wear the jersey, you can paint the face, you can sing the team song, but until you take to the field, until you've been kicked in the shins, trodden on in the rut, busted your lip, had the ball in your, in your hands or on your feet, had your nose in someone else's sweaty armpit, you haven't been in the game. And I'm sure that when you've watched these games, you've seen those moments where a team has won it and there's those moments of euphoria when they bind together and all that pain seemed worth it. But then you've also seen those people where they've lost it on the siren, that final kick's gone through and you see that bitter defeat as they sit there on the ground, hands in their head. But those losses, those bruises, those aching limbs are all worth it when you experience that sweet taste of victory at season end. Being a follower of Christ is not a spectator sport. You don't get to sit rigged, rugged up in the stands, sipping on a hot chocolate while your team slips around in the mud with a freezing winter on the rain on their back. This life in service to God, but also this life in general, it's a full contact sport. Jesus never promised that following him was going to be easy. Rather, it's quite the opposite. Being identified with Jesus is going to come at a cost. You might be overlooked in an opportunity at your work. You may be ridiculed in the playground. Your family might shun you. You may even suffer physical harm or death. Now, I'm not trying to sensationalise that here. An article in Christianity Today from 2020 reported that the Centre for the Study of Global Christianity estimated that the number of Christian martyrs, we're talking today, the number of Christian martyrs today is estimated around 90,000 each year. So on average, that means just while we've sat here through this service, 10 more people have lost their life standing up for what they believed in. And yet here we have Paul rejoicing in his suffering. Why is that? Because he is being identified with Christ and fulfilling the mission given to him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That same great commission that has been given to all of us. And in Matthew 5, Jesus provided great words of encouragement for when we encounter suffering. He said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way now who, now recall who paul is writing to this letter is written about 30 years after jesus ascended into heaven the colossian church is a church in the city of Colossae, which is in the roman province of asia minor they don't have the new testament yet they don't have a magnificent temple their home church they're experiencing religious persecution and the person writing to them to encourage them is in prison. Can you imagine that? It's like taking finance advice from a bankrupt who's now serving time for financial misappropriation, isn't it? Like, if, if you want words of encouragement or insight, particularly in this time, but what words of hope do you give to these people? Well, we read here, I've become its servant by the commission of God, gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So here's Paul who's writing and say, look, I've got this great news for you. There's this mystery, this musterion, which is not something unknowable, but it's something that can only be known through revelation because God reveals it. Don't think about this mystery as being done it, which is never solved, but rather it's a puzzling mystery before you which we, so you need someone else to explain to you. Paul here has been given this sacred task of revealing this mystery. And he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, we here are Gentiles, and here is the answer to this mystery, Christ is in you. But if that's sort of like the answer, if that's the mystery being solved, what then was the mystery in the first place? Well, we have to go back to Genesis 12, where we read about the call of Abram. See, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So, if the Jews were God's people, how then were the Gentiles to experience blessings in this life? As we read through the Old Testament, we see that God's covenant relationship was with the Jews. Right through the Old Testament, God continues to reinforce or restate this covenant relationship with the prophets up until Christ. So what then about the Gentiles? What then would they have been thinking if they knew about these words that God had given to Abram? And then in Ephesians we read and it says, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. See, this is the mystery being solved. It is Christ in us and we are to share in these blessings. But this is not what the Gentiles who would have understood or experienced at that time They would have felt, really, that up to this point, that they were second-class citizens, that they were denied access to God. Think about even with the temple. Even if a Gentile was converted to Judaism, the only distance they could go into the temple was the court of the Gentiles. But there was four courts in the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles, then there was the court of the women then there was the court of israel with, or the court of men then there's the court of the priests then there is the holy place and beyond the holy place there is then a large veil or like a large curtain and behind that is the holy of holies that the holy of holies was the earthly dwelling place of god's presence only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond that veil and that was once a year the veil separated God's presence from the rest of the temple where man dwelt. So you imagine, even for the Gentiles, even if they had come to faith in Judaism, they would always feel like they were separated, not just by a little bit, but they were separated well from God. Even if they went to the place of worship, they could, it was like they could not get close to God. But then, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil, that thing which separated God's earthly dwelling place from the rest of man, was torn in two. No longer would man be separated from God. God's dwelling place is now on us. We have this access to God because of what Christ has done for us. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we we may present everyone fully, mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And Paul goes on, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments." So here it is, Paul has gone, here is the mystery that Christ is in you. But as we said, here is, they don't have the New Testament yet. Here's this church, imagine what you would do if you don't have a handbook. What do you do? You listen to others. So here it is, how easy it would have been for the new converts to be deceived by false teachers. They're not under the laws as the Jews have been, they don't have that New Testament, they don't have the benefit of the apostles being with them each week to guide them and teach them. So where then do they turn? What was God's plan in this space? Well, then we need to turn back in the bulge back to Jeremiah. God had a plan for this way back. And it says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God's plan was to put his instructions deep down in each of us. The knowledge and power of Christ is within each of us. Each of us, when we go through the week, you know when you get those promptings of the Spirit to do something... Whether it might be you suddenly feel prompted to give a word of encouragement to someone you may not have even spoken to for years. But, but you know, sometimes you get that wrestle and you're going, oh, it'd be awkward, it'd be weird, maybe I don't. But that, sometimes that's God prompting you to say, Lord, I've got a special word of encouragement for that person and it's coming from you. Maybe there's that person who's going through a bit of a tough time financially and God's saying, look, you need to loosen, loosen your purse strings to help them out. Or maybe you might experience a strong urging to respond to a person in a most gracious and loving way when you would rather do the opposite. But the problem though is without the recognition of Christ at work in us, without the recognition of those promptings of the Spirit within us, we often then look for answers to the problems in our life outside of us and we can easily be led astray by those around us. See the problem in the Colossian church was that non-Christian teachings were circulating within the church and the problem specifically they had was syncretism which is when Jewish and Gentile beliefs and practices were being combined creating a sort of hybrid religion that no longer resembled true Christianity and Paul encourages the Christian Colossian church he said it's like he's saying don't be swayed by these false teachers don't be swayed by people who would deny that Christ is in you don't be swayed by people who deny that you can experience the full power of Christ in you. This mystery has been revealed to you. Christ is in you. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul gives them a word of encouragement. He understands what they are going through and any challenges that they are facing and delights in them standing firm in their faith in Christ. As I said at the start, the more I dug into this passage and the other scriptures which I felt were open to me, I found a great encouragement and reassurance of what it means to have Christ in us. Paul knew what it meant to have Christ in him. He had endured more than his fair share of trials, and rather than it leaving him questioning faith, rather than questioning God's love for him or wondering if he'd been abandoned or forgotten, Paul rejoices in his sufferings, rejoices that he is worthy to be identified with Christ and to share in his suffering for the church, rejoicing that he has the privilege of serving Christ and making him known to all people. Each of us will encounter difficulties and strife in this life. It could be relational, financial, physical. We may even suffer persecution, rejection or isolation However, we can have a great confidence that God is not absent, is not watching us from afar, but rather Christ is within us, strengthening us, supporting us, encouraging us and guiding us. When you encounter struggles in your life, take hold of the truth that Christ is in you. We have a sure hope and can enjoy peace and joy no matter what comes our way. And like Paul, we can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings, for Christ is in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your immeasurable love for us. Lord, we know that in this life that we will face struggles and trials and hardship. And Lord, rather than us believing in a God who stands from a distance and doesn't understand, Lord, we know your Son came to this earth. We know what he experienced for our sake. And Lord, we have this sure hope that your son, your Christ is in us, that we can enjoy his power and experience and joy each day, that you are alive in us, that you are leading us, guiding us. Lord, I just pray that each of us might go into this week grasping hold of that truth and that know that we have a sure hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. For more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button And let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek Him in your daily life. God bless.